everybody and welcome to another episode of the Hanukkah Erotica Book Club. I'm Razel and I'm joined by Malia, my co-host and stepsister. Hi Malia. Hello. And we are very excited about tonight's episode because not only are we talking about B'nai Mitzvah Mistake, but we are yeah. talking about B'nai Mitzvah Mistake with the author herself, Stacy Actern. Yes, Which so is, awesome. So I'm so psyched that she said yes, it's so nice, and I can't wait to talk to her. Um, but before we let her in, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's the end of an intense weekend of just like, the kids won this weekend, I felt. <laughs> <laughs> like they beat me. Like at the end, I was like, you win. You win. So, um, but I'm, so I'm happy to be here and discussing non-child related things yeah and yeah go go on no you go first oh i was just gonna say uh and i really enjoyed our last our last episode and got some good feedback on that oh for sure yeah no yes what'd you hear just people thought sarah was really fun guest um you know a little spicier than maybe our usual um which i think people thought was fun and i thought it was fun too multiple messages from my mom asking for her last name did she do the same to you? No, that's so funny. And then I responded. But the thing is, like, sometimes my mom doesn't see the response. Like, sometimes it's immediate. She's holding her phone or she's on her computer and she's seeing the iMessages pop up. And sometimes there's a very long delay. Right. So it was, like, two texts about her last name because she wanted to look her up, I guess, and also a phone call. Like, she really wanted to know more about oh, wow. Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cute. I know. And I want to have Sarah back on. Your mom did also write me an email, not asking for her last name, but just saying she liked the episode and she described Sarah as a pip. Oh, yeah. She totally is a pip. Yeah, yeah. That was accurate. Yeah. I liked that. It was a good, good synopsis. Um, Also, I liked the tip that the pip gave of having your kids take your Instagram photos. Totally. That was a great idea. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It never occurred to me. I mean, the truth is, but you were right. Like my kids use my phone camera more than I do, like by a lot. So they should be taking my photos. Exactly. They could do it. Yeah. 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 That's a great tip. So, and and I felt a little, I mean, you know, she said she would be open to coming on on the show again, which I thought would be fun. Um, But I felt like, because I felt a little bit like maybe there were some openings where we could have gotten even more personal with her and we didn't because, you know, we were just warming up with her. But like there was a moment like when we said, when we were reading that sexy scene from the first date um, in the book and then she was like, I miss L.A. I feel like I should have been like, have you had experiences similar to this in L.A.? (laughs) But like, you know, I didn't. And now I'm like, what was happening with her in L.A.? So there were some unturned stones there that I think we could have. Yeah, good point. Okay, we'll start jotting those down as we think of other things we want to ask her and then we'll have her back on. Cool. Sounds good. That sounds good to me, too. Okay, so let's wait to talk about B'nai Mitzvah Mistake until we have Stacy here, right? Of course. Okay, let's, let's let her in. Hi. Hello. Yes. We see mm-hmm. you. Yes. Can you hear me? We hear you. Yeah. Um, on Wednesday, I did a panel associated with Pocket Bookshops in Lancaster uh, with Heidi Shertock. And of course, like my worst nightmare, which was the audio was not working, happened. So every, every, every panel since then, I have been... I have been concerned. So I get it. I had a little situation for the past 20 minutes, but we're on. We're good. We've all been there. And we're here. We've all been there. So welcome. Welcome to Hanukkah Erotica Book Club. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited. Like you guys have picked some really, really awesome books that I've loved recently. So I'm excited to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Great, 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 yes. great. So we have not talked yet about the name. It's a mistake. We're waiting for you. But in addition to talking about B'nai Mitzvah Mistake, are you open to talking to us about how you became a Jewish romance writer and just a little bit about, we're just so curious. Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. So yeah, yeah. So tell us, tell us how you became a Jewish romance writer and kind of entered this world. So I've always written romance. Um, My 
but I didn't know quite what I was writing until my mom, when I was in university, my mom's a huge romance reader. And she, um, when I was, at, when I was at university, uh, she, um, put a very particular book that she knew that I would fall in love with on a very particular corner of her nightstand. And sure enough, I took the bait. Um, it was a book about uh, an archaeology professor um, who discovered a cursed sword and fell in love with the Viking attached to it. And it's that book sort of destroyed all my preconceived notions about what the genre was. Because at the time, like, I just thought, oh, it's just historical. Like, it's not for me. I like science fiction. I like, you know, thrillers. I like all this kind of really cool kind of fiction other kinds of genre fiction and romance was not for me. And yet, oops, there I was reading, you know, Until Forever by Joanna Lindsay and that was done. Um, but like for some reason and, you know, for a lot of reasons, there was a separation between myself and the books that I read. Um, 90% of most of romance has up until that point when I was reading um, was, if not, it was if not overtly Christian, but culturally Christian. And so it was like, okay, I'll just, you know, read these characters and follow their stories and let them fall in love and go, oh, wow, you know, I love the way the writer did this. And, you know, I really enjoyed reading the books. And then I think I will actually tie it back to Lady X's Cowboy by Zoe Archer, which was a huge kind of deal at the time because Zoe Archer, who is Jewish, who writes under multiple different pen names, um, wrote in this story the closest that she could get to writing a historical romance with a Jewish hero and a Jewish heroine, a Jewish male main character and a Jewish female main character. Um, and then, but the book that really kind of sealed the deal for me was a book called Chasing Stanley by Deirdre Martin. Chasing Stanley is a hockey romance. It was published by Berkeley. Um, there's a large Newfoundland dog on the cover and of course the Stanley Cup, um, Stanley being also the name of the dog. Uh, but the main female character was a Jewish dog trainer. And it was the first time I had ever seen a Jewish female main character in a hockey romance. And for me, who is like multi-generational hockey fan, you know, my grandfather, you know, who's, whose ancestry was questionable whether he was born in Poland or the United States, you know, he, he was one of those people who, when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 1994, wore one of those now I could die in peace shirts. Um, <laughs> You know, that was that was my sort of heritage with hockey. And then to read this book and go, wait a second, you mean you mean people like me, people who go to go to synagogue, people who keep kosher, people who like me are Jewish can actually, you know, be a main character in a contemporary romance novel that's published by one of the major publishers. Really? What? And not very long after that, I found myself very luckily with Isabel Kelly and Cassandra Carr writing a hockey romance of my own with the heroine being a Jewish romance writer and the hero being um, one of many things, but inspired by an incident that I had seen happen in my own favorite hockey team that year. And um, that was that was where it all started, um, you know, and why I write Jewish characters. I mean, the idea of writing stories that show Jewish joy, show unabashed Jewish joy on the page, allowing Jewish characters to take center stage in our own stories in a genre that's so predominantly Christian. It's, you know, but has also brought me so much joy over the years as a reader. So. Yeah, we, th thank you so much for that, for, for that background. I was telling Malia in our last episode that hockey romance is a big thing. I know all sports in general, but that hockey, you know, so then I was like, this is a Jewish hockey romance. You're like, wait, hockey yep. romance. So I know. And I'm, I was excited. Is hockey romance a particularly, you know, sort of in the sports romance genre? Is it a particularly strong subgenre? Rachel's nodding, so I assume it is. Like it cool. is um, the a best... lot of romance around hockey specifically, I guess, as as your story just kind of, you know, exemplify. Well, one of the biggest things about hockey is about the fact that it is a team sport 
you know, it's a very close team sport. There's also the kind of way of looking at the sport where anything can happen anytime. You know, you have a small playing field on the ice. You have three, two, one, you know, on each side plus. And, and so there's, and it's a fast paced game. It's a fast paced sport. And people fall in love with this idea, with this sport, and then just can't help themselves, but want to learn more about it. And it's fascinating and a lot of fun because I've seen the pipeline both ways. I've seen diehard hockey fans who are romance readers somehow tie the two together and fall in love with reading hockey romance. And I've seen it the other way as well, where huge readers of hockey romance all of a sudden decide, okay, I would like to watch the sport. How does this work? And literally I have seen this play out and it's beautiful. Like it's just gorgeous on both ends of the spectrum. Okay. Um, a few facts that no one knows. The list our listeners don't know. <laughs> we're season ticket holders. We're season ranger season ticket holders. My husband and I. Yep. Are you? I yeah. didn't know that. See? <gasps> wow. Look at you, Rachel. Also, the hockey guys at college were very hot, mm-hmm. but also they were very old. Like I felt they were redshirted a few times in private school. Like the hockey players, they weren't our age. Like they were just old. Like, <laughs> Are you saying that because they seemed like physically mature or you're no, saying no, they, they were, were actually sincerely old. like in their 20s while we were like 18 in college? Like there's something that happens with hockey teams and red shirting. Stacey's nodding like this is a real thing. Like they yeah, were old. Like, it's not that they just like were hairy, like they were old and hot. <laughs> I guess I mean, very young now compared to us. But like when I was in high in college, <laughs> the hockey players were older than our peer group. What's up with that? Yeah, it's a redshirting thing. Can you tell us about really? Yeah, I think there's like a. I mean, I think on the it's definitely on the back end for sure. Like you have like multiple years of. Again, I went to university in Canada, so my knowledge of like the the university system to a degree is is based on years of fandom. So like I'm not I'm not as sure, but like I know you have a certain degree of eligibility when you play university level sports, and I think what happens is. Um, hockey players who actually desperately, you know, want to try to make, make the show, make, you know, perfect play professionally, um, go through the minor system, go through like, um, like early minor leagues. I know Canada has like a really, really specific, uh, degree of minor league sequences in the various provinces and sort of like which tiers of leagues you go through to get to a certain point. Um, and the United States has a couple of them, but most of them end up at the U.S. development team, the really, really good ones. Um, I forget where it is, but anyway. So what happens is this process takes a while. And then when you get to a point where either you need a university, you feel like you want to play at a university level, or you feel like your hockey career is ending you know, and not sort of going to the next level, then what happens is people go from these, you know, development leagues to university. Um, And then, so that's the biggest, that's the difference in age. Like, you know, you're talking about- They've had like gap, multiple gap years. So they're like old. (laughs) They're like old. Uh, wait, one thing I want to talk about in the book, pivoting. So we, our listeners don't even yet know what Bene Mitzvah Mistake is about. So Bene Mitzvah Mistake is about um, these two people who are getting adult bar and bat mitzvahs. And they are also, they have a history because Asher Mendel yep. has really hurt Judith Nachman. Do you pronounce it Nachman with a... Is that how you're pronouncing um, it? I'm kind of, I think of it as Nachman, but it doesn't okay. really matter way because again, okay. like pronunciation is so wild. I can, you know, in Nachman. Okay. What about you, Malia? What were you saying? I was doing a huh in my head. Sure. But I was but... doing a huh also, but then I was thinking that Bachman, like Andy Bachman's. So I was like, maybe it's not. Mm, okay. Right. Judith Nachman. Okay. So, okay. But Asher is a hot hockey player, Jewish hockey player. And he is sharing a bat mitzvah date with our main character, Judith Nachman, but he really messed something up for her sister. So she really hates him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they end up developing a relationship. And there's a lot of themes like in this book. One of the, a big theme I would say in this book is in addition to the hockey part of it, which does play a big role, is also this like Jewish nonprofit world, I would say. 
Yes. She works for the Jewish nonprofit world. Malia and I have worked in the Jewish nonprofit world slash do work in the Jewish nonprofit world still. True. Malia, have you had a Jewish nonprofit romance? I mean, I kind of think of my romance with William as a Jewish. Not well, William is my husband and also our producer. <laughs> That's why I'm looking this way because he's sitting here. But um, I think I, I actually have a really cute Jew and kind of sexy Jewish nonprofit romance story to tell about us. I don't know. This is a non sequitur, but well, a little bit of a non sequitur. We're ready. But We're ready. I'll, I'll, I'll tie it up quickly. Okay. So um, I worked for a Jewish nonprofit called Jesna that is no, no longer exists. It was a legacy Jewish nonprofit, I, I'll call it. Uh, and it's defunct. I mean, I, I think it went bankrupt. Maybe like maybe related to Bernie Madoff, but maybe also just because they okay. didn't do so much anymore. I don't know. Um, Jasna, and they shared offices with the Federation, the um, the Jewish Federation, like their big national headquarters, um, which is called JF JFNA. I don't know. They Jewish nonprofits keep changing acronyms, but it was like the Federation's big headquarters. Not and UJA. so. Not UJA, which is like the New York Federation. This was like the National Federation, like headquarters. Okay. For the whole country. So Jesna had offices in that bigger office. Yeah. And right around Hanukkah time, there was big news in the office that they were planning to launch this big Facebook. So this is like 2007, maybe. And like Facebook was really big and newly like not just available to college students. And they were like launching this big Facebook based Hanukkah color war that was going to have like videos being released and people were going to comment on the videos and join teams based on the characters. And this was going to like engage young Jews in like Jewish nonprofitness. And everyone was like talking about how you know, they, and the guy who was in charge of this was like, he was so proud of like this great idea he had had. And he was like, we hired the Jewish animation guy to like create all the characters for this Hanukkah um, color war that we're gonna have. And I was like, there's the Jewish animation guy, like that's a thing. Um, So, and everyone was like, they pay these guys tons of money. Like they pay them so much to make these animations, it's crazy. And then the day the first animation was released, like the first day of Hanukkah, um, everyone was like watching, it was like a big buzz in the office, like watching this this Hanukkah, um, you know, video. And the video was released and it was very cute, but it had like, you know, it was like a lot of humor. Like there was this guy running with a package and they kept on referring to like the package. He has the package. And then he kept holding the package like in front of his, like, you know, in between his legs, like whatever. And everyone was like- Mega Mitch here, I've got the package. And so somebody walked into my, my, one of like my Jesna colleagues walked into my office and was like, have you seen the video? And I was like, yeah, I just saw it. And they were like, oh my God. They were like, whoever made that video just needs to get laid. And in my story, I was like, I'm on it because William's the Jewish animation guy. (laughs) And we did in fact meet and, you know, got married uh, three or four years later. But that was my first introduction to him before I even knew who he was. So so funny. I had no idea that you ever heard of him. Yeah. The Jewish animation guy. So this is a great story and also leads me to what I want to ask you, Stacey, which is how did you get your inspiration for these characters, for the storyline? Like, you know, obviously we understand that you're a hockey fan, but this Jewish nonprofit tie-in and talking about Tikkun Olam, it's like whenever (laughs) we're at some kind of like, Jewish party, an event, a holiday event, something in the community. Like I share with my husband some like weird, horny fantasy I have about what's happening. I'm like, this would make a good romance book, right? This would make a good Jewish romance book. Like I'm just constantly having this happen. So how did you get your inspiration and how did this kind of this story come about? So um, there are like, so I can never just have one idea at the same time. It never works because the thing is like, you have to write, you know, like 60 to 80,000 words to make a book. So you need multiple ideas, right? So the first one I had was I heard about um, a retired football player who had his bar mitzvah. And I was like, that's amazing. I was like, but again, you can't write a story about a retired athlete who had his bar mitzvah. Like that's just not the only thing. So that, that sort of sits back in my, in the back of my mind. And then um, I was what was I doing? Um, 
there were two different articles um, in two different places. Uh, Zach Hyman, who, fun fact, is the only uh, professional player playing now who has is also um, a Maccabi gold winning athlete. Um, he wrote an article in The Athletic at some point about anti-Semitism. And he echoed um, an interview that Adam Fox had, I think with JTA, and there were bits of sentences that literally could have been copied and pasted together between like the two interviews. Um, basically, and it seemed to me like they were searching for community. And three or four years ago, um, I had gotten together with Felicia Grossman and Elizabeth Early to create a romance discord for um, for writers, readers of Jewish romance, a place where we could gather and have community together, which was which is important. It was something that I'd always wanted for Jewish authors in the romance genre, and getting that was kind of amazing. And I was like, I recognize those words because I felt them myself. So that sort of goes in the pot. And then um, I was like, okay. And then there was a lot of different conversations about finding um, the need for professional leagues in hockey to stand up to anti-Semitism as, you know, focus is on diversity and inclusivity as events happened in various NHL focused cities, but also in the minors. Um, you know, like, what was the league going to do? How were the players going to react? Again, my feelings about that into the pot. Um, and all of those things sort of tied together. And that's, that's how we ended up with a lot of it. But also, my one of my brother's childhood friends, his mother, at the age, I was, I want to say I was like 14 years old. Um, it was right after my bat mitzvah and right before my brother. And this woman had her bat mitzvah. And thinking about all of those things and seeing, um, you know, the conversations about like, adult coming of age stories because there were conversations on social media with a bunch of adult romance writers about like, you know, double quinceaneras and a couple of other things and, you know, in sweet 30s that I was like, oh my God. I remembered what this particular woman had gone through when I was, you know, when I was 14 years old, you know, seeing her have her bat mitzvah. Um, and I was like, that's it. So... I took, you know, the trope of uh, forced proximity, you know, questions about that, like two people forced together, sharing that sort of moment. And I was like, okay, so we have these two people stuck together, um, sharing a B'day Mitzvah date who have to deal with each other. And I was like, this is perfect. And also Jewish social justice to create an organization that would give Jewish hockey players the community that this particular player was searching for. And I was searching for so this is so helpful but so i i'm not a writer but i just keep getting all these ideas and yeah. the thing is like it's not like oh this random party i was at is the book like it's actually just a scene in the book and i need to just keep a list of all of these ideas because it all came together really well in your book but i it makes sense like i under all those threads that you just wove together make a lot of sense to, to us and so that's thank you for walking us through that that's really interesting and helpful um it's interesting about a, that you had that, it sounds like that was, that experience of seeing your childhood friend's mother have that adult bat mitzvah was stood out because it was sort of an anomaly. Like, I don't remember knowing about the concept of an adult bat mitzvah until adulthood. Like, I didn't see that. I didn't, that wasn't part of my like childhood in suburbia. I was wondering, I mean, I grew up in like a pretty orthodox environment. So I I was yeah. wondering if that's because it because of the, denomination or just like is this an idea that's time has sort of come more these days or like what is a little unusual like i don't think it's very common no it's, and it, i mean 
it's it's available if people should want it. I think it was honestly like more common in like in like um in reform and conservative congregations because that's where this sure. was actually conservative congregation where this took place. And fun fact, uh the town that I said the name it's the mistake in the rest of the series and is actually modeled after the town where this um adult bottom that took place. Oh. Um Maybe. but um yeah. Um but like oh where was I going? I was going somewhere with this. Um like but you know, all of these various congregations do have it. It's something that's available for people who want it. Like there are tons of different ways to do it. Like um, how much information is being studied, you know, how much time do people have to devote to it? Like how, um, you know, how much of the service they want to do? Like the, generally speaking, what usually happens is that the class has a service together um, on Shavuot. But, um, but generally, but I wanted, again, for, for slightly dramatic effect, I kind of took the, the, the individual dates from conversations that I've heard about, you know, children and their bar and bat mitzvah dates and how like that whole process like works in different congregations and the conversations that people have about like finding the right date in the right moment. But the rest of it, the rest of the service, the rest of the, the rest of the classes, the rest of the. Also, Molly, I think that sometimes when there's adult bat mitzvahs, when a person grew up in the Orthodox community and didn't get to lane, because that ah. Orthodox community does bat mitzvahs. And so mm -hmm. then they have an adult bat mitzvah, but they read from the Torah. Yeah. I think that's also a thing. That makes sense. That would be a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. And is it also a thing to do it on like, multiples of 13 or did i make that up <laughs> like you're 26 sounded very good last week or yeah, right like that would that would be that would be interesting i made that up though that's not a thing i totally thought that was a thing okay i mean it well would be, like, why should it be i mean you know if i was going to have a second bomb it's but i've got to be past that by now but like, <laughs> but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. multiples of 12 or 13 is cool Okay. <laughs> I like that. I like, I, it's not a thing, Molly. I'm sure someone's done that. I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. Cool. Well, whoever it there, is. There have been Wait. A, I would, I would, I would wager that there have been birthday parties around that theme, you know, like. Makes sense. Yeah. Oh, definitely. People love to have an adult fun. It's a themed birthday party for sure. Exactly. Um, were you concerned, Stacey, that people would think this is YA? Hmm. Not, I mean, yes and no um it kind of like because let me step back a second um i tried to kind of place it in that conversation of adult coming of age ceremonies and like there have been a there have been a couple of books um recently also dealing with adult coming of age ceremonies. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind is Yamil Mendez's Twice Upon a Quinceanera, which was actually one of the books that spurred the conversation, like the conversations that led to that group, that book uh, spurred the conversation about adult bar, bar and bar mitzvahs for me. Mm -hmm. um, but um, because it was always contextualized, like the main male character was a retired hockey player you know, like there were very specific bits of the book, you know, the main female character had been working, you know, in a Jewish nonprofit for a number of years at this point. So it was contextualized and sort of organized so that it was very clear, no, these are two adults. Um, and a bit of a side note, um, the nonprofit itself is a bit of Afi Komen from my second book, History of Us. Um, so I realized I did not mention it because you guys asked me the question before and I was like, yes, this is, so yeah, the very, the, the specific nonprofit that shows up in the name it's my mistake is a bit of a comment from history. Of from us. history of us. Okay, good. So if we, when we check out, because I actually wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about your other books. I know because we started obviously on Hanukkah, that's how we got into this whole thing, but now we're, now we're on yep. to all Jewish romance. So you've written more than one Hanukkah romance. Yes. Um, tell, I, yeah, tell us about them. So the very first Hanukkah romance that I wrote was in an anthology called Burning Bright with someone else with someone else that you've had conversations. Yes. With. Yes. Um, 
But we haven't had conversations with KK. We've just read her. We don't yes, find yes. her. We can't she, find her. Do you know her? Yes. No, she is. Well, we, we want to talk to her. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was the wonderful anthology. And it was my first Hanukkah romance. Um, the main male character is, is a music promoter who kind of is in a brand new existence, stage of ex his existence because he works for the very first uh, Jewish religious uh, music award winner in. Um, he works so like his he's an AR guy for a big, huge Jewish music record, record imprint. Um, and the main female character is an interior designer who is in charge of the building's Hanukkah party. So like this was like in 2016, I went, no, 2016. Anyway, it's a while. It's, it, and it was my first traditionally published story. So that oh, was kind cool. of wild. Yeah. So Miracles and Menorahs uh, came out in October of 2020. And that was my first solo book. Um, it was a return to Hanukkah um, because when things got crazy, you know, I found, um, I spent two years or so writing these like very political romances where I was writing the political happy ending that the my political uh, existence did not have in reality. So mm. I wrote four stories that um, with issues that I was processing, we'll say. Um, Except not Jewish or, or Jewish characters were woven in. Jewish characters throughout. Um, yes. Inter let's see. Book story one is interfaith. Story two is both Jewish. Story three is both Jewish. Story four is interfaith. Um, and story five is interfaith, but set around a Passover Seder in the pandemic. So, um, cool. okay, great. Got to yep. make put these on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're actually going to be re-released in an anthology called The Hope Connection sometime very soon because they were cool. part of anthologies called the rogue collection i want to say rogue anthologies um but anyway it was a great project it was amazing and then after those i was exhausted i was kind of burnt out i was tired i was you know uh, dealing with emotionally the the fallout of writing these stories um, the third one was around the time where bomb threats were being called into Jewish community centers all over. And it was, so it was, it was mm. confronting anti-Semitism and being a Jewish ally. So you get, you kind of get the idea that like, these are, these were very, very heavy romances. Um, and as a result, I needed what I like to call a fuzzy blanket. I fell in love with Hallmark movies in 2016 and kept in 2017, 2018, and watched a lot of them. And Miracles of Menorahs happened because I guess because of the uh the Hallmark Hallmark movies that I was watching, I was doing what I think Jenny Cruzy called the Hundred Story Challenge, which was if you watch, if you read a whole bunch of books in the genre, all of a sudden you're prepared to write it, basically. Like you're learning, you you start to learn the genre and its ins and outs. And I was at a certain point going, I love these movies, but what if the characters were Jewish? What if the holiday celebrated was Hanukkah? And so Miracles and Menorahs, October of 2020, um, in the like deep end of the pandemic, it was released and it was my first solo single title. Um, it's the story of a young woman who lives in a small town who wants to save the Hanukkah festival that she loves desperately. Um, the one of and um, the lives in a small town is critical to the hallmark genre so in a lot of ways like they're getting it yeah um but i also i mean i grew up in suburban westchester so like my view of small town is different from the hallmark view of small town right. so right. like the, the idea of like a small town in a big city being kind of you know ruthless enemies is not my reality and has never right. been so it's different we're in the tri-state area it's just different here yeah exactly so um, so the small town in Westchester that the hero, that the main female character lives in has a Hanukkah festival. Um, but the new board said, you know, you have to do something because otherwise we will add trees and, you know, and, and dudes with beards and we will make it a holiday festival. But of course we know how that works. So she's like, I, you know, her bright idea is to get a metal sculptor to make a giant menorah. 
for the center of the town. Is the welder the hot love interest? It, yes, it is. Yes. Mm, so good. And he, and he hates love the a idea. hot welder. So exactly. good. The hot metal sculptor. He hates the idea of the Hanukkah festival. He hates the commercialization of the holiday. Um, and you know, like you know, shenanigans happen. And it's just a really, it was a really, really cute story, and it felt really, really good because I was able to kind of have a lot of conversations with the Christmas movies, but also talk about what we talk about within the Jewish community, you know, the, the, the reactions to Hanukkah, the reactions to commercialization of the holiday, who likes it, who doesn't, like who runs around and says, this is the easiest way to stand up and be Jewish versus people who are like, oh my God, come on, stop that nonsense. Like it's, you know, um, even, and it was just a great story to write. Um, and then we go to History of Us, which is um, the second book in the series. Um, it's the story of a museum curator who is forced to deal with the last chance love of her life, basically. Um, it's a last, it's one of those stories where like, these two are not only star-crossed, but have really messed up multiple times with each other. And they're, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, this is the last chance, like either they, you know, pull themselves together or for God's sakes, just stop this at this point. Um, and he is uh, the son of a rather wealthy Jewish family um, whose house and story is reminiscent of uh, Ohika Castle. Um, and basically, like, they are forced to work together because she would like to create her own exhibit about Jewish history in New York for the museum that she works for. She wants to talk about like the the activism of Jews in New York um, and in throughout history. And he has, his family has exhibits in the archives. So that's, and it's, it's, that's, this is where sort of like, and I was writing a Jewish billionaire, you know, I joked about how um, I was writing the Captain Planet version of Tikkun Olam. <laughs> <laughs> so many stereotypes within the romance genre associated with billionaire romances tie right up against anti-Semitic stereotypes. Mm. So I had to figure mm. out a way around all of that and write a, be able to write a character that I loved, that I was able to write, um, that readers could love, that people could love. And I hope I did that, um, which is why there are multiple nonprofits running around in that book. Right. Um, he is pretty much on a crusade, on a one-man crusade to save the world, in essence. <laughs> Sweet Mal, do you know that billionaire romance is a major sub in the romance world? Of course not, but I did not know that, but it makes total sense. I mean, it's like, it makes sense. It's like someone who's rich and powerful, and I can imagine all kinds of just sort of like falling in love with the plucky whoever. Uh, yes. yes, but like yeah. gazillion, countless, you countless... Yeah, it's a very big genre. So, okay, so there's a Jewish billionaire romance now. This is good yeah. to know. Yes. The history of us. Yes. And then Love and Latkes, which is the Latka comp cooking competition we all wanted and loved. Um, the main male character wants to be in this competition to, um, to win the prize money to bring back the Jewish deli to the small town that he lives in. Um, the main female character left this town tent like a long time ago does not want to come back except the host of the locket competition is someone that she desperately wants to work with so she agrees to do the website for this locket competition to maybe sort of meet this host so she can get some pointers on the show of her dreams which is a jewish uh sort of recipe history show that Ooh, she would like yeah. on the meal network um, but of course the host can't do the show and she decides that that's what she's going to do. And so she auditions and it's just a really fun sort of Hanukkah competition story tied to what happens when you confess to the love of your life in high school and it doesn't go well. And they, and it's like this big, huge deal. And you now have to come back and face this person again. You know, people have these conversations about whether this is a second chance romance. I say it is a zombie crush story, which 
you know, is it, is it the crush that I felt 10 years, you know, 10, 15 years ago? Is it the crush that I, there, or is it this person that I'm in love with now? Like, what's the difference between the two of them? So, hmm. okay. These all sound so Wait, has that happened to you in real life where you've revisited a romance from years ago? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, like I've, I've seen people that I've had crushes on before and then sort of like met them again and had that conversation, you know, had that thought to myself, like, do I actually like this person or is it because he was hot when he was, you know, he was however old he was when I saw him last. Yeah. He was hot in the dark room in ninth grade. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're in the light of day. Yeah. But now I'm running into you on the subway and it's 16 years later. Exactly. You're not in my photography class. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, I, yeah, I was at a, we were at a wedding last year of a couple who dated when they were 15 and then met again in their like early thirties and got married and they had all over the walls, like photos of them as like babies, you know, hanging out together, but they had had like half their lives, you know, separate. So it feels a little almost like upsetting. Like I went on all these like dates and had all these misadventures just to end up back with the person that I had met at 15 like I don't know it's a little bit a little like oh it's, it was you the whole time damn I don't know no but because they had to go through their exactly. whole life they had to become the person oh. for now exactly. oh right 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 yeah well it's good it's good stuff <laughs> no it is good. so many so many of these books have I think I mean I think it's in general I mean it's like all cultures not just Jewish culture like cares about food but so many of these books have food woven in, delis yeah. woven in, like different, you know, in B'nai Mitzvah Mistake, Knishes were, yeah. uh, there's Knishes in it. Yes. Okay. But also there was this omelet that they ate that was a lox and avocado omelet. Yes. Has any, have you, have you either of you eaten a lox and avocado omelet? I have. You have. Hmm. Yes. I am, city, like, wild, I am one of those wild people who has, who has never met an avocado they didn't like. And I love the mix of the, the lox and avocado. So, but it was really warm. Yeah, I never imagined avocado be avocado as a food in an omelet, just of any kind. Oh, on the side, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Very... Wow. Huh. Okay. Lots of avocado omelet. Yep. But like, it's interesting because like, you know, in Love and Lockers, you know, there's constant conversation about gentilification and like how it's affecting the struggle of the Jewish deli and like how few of them are and like the struggle of Jewish cuisine, generally speaking. And then you have in B'nai Mitzvah Mistake, the beginning of a story of the, sort of a through line of um, of the Kanish shop, of the Kanish shop, which is may or may not be based on Yonah Schimmel's. Um, if Yonah Schimmel's. Classic. Yes, ex- but that's exactly like the classic heritage shop and like how that has survived. Like one of the few like classic Jewish locations that has made it and what's the difference and how you know and how can you you know the different stories between the two so what's your Kanish order um so I like kasha or potato yeah um, but I had so much fun with my best friend pulling together um a sauerkraut potato Kanish Mm, Um, that sounds good so like any on any random like bookmark that I send out um associated with Benimits of a steak is the recipe. Ooh. It was so much fun um pulling them together. So Somalia, what's your Kanish order? I think I would just go with the classic potato, but I I I like the idea of this potato sauerkraut because I love sauerkraut in general. It sounds very good. Good mixture. Kasha Kanish is delicious. You know, there were a Kanish mm, trucks little, to drive through. A little the dry, I feel. Dry, yeah, they're dry. I like the, that, dry. that like mealy taste in your mouth is very delicious to me and Hamish tasting. But the, very Hamish, there was that's a, for sure. There was a Kanish truck that used to drive through the bungalow colony when Mitch was a kid in the summers. A Kanish truck with hot yeah. cookies. That sounds very romantic. I only know that from, have you seen A Walk on the Moon, Stacey? The movie A Walk on the Moon? I have not. Okay, we have to, re- I, when we are done with Stacy's oeuvre, we need to check out A Walk on the Moon because it's a movie about a summer bungalow colony romance. And like throughout the whole thing, there's like on the loudspeaker, a lady going like, the Kanish man is on the premises. The Kanish man is on the premises. And like, she's doing this throughout like all this whole romantic whatever. 
like about all these different trucks that drive through the bungalow colony, like oh, periodically. Anyway, it's such a good movie. Ah, uh, okay. I will, will watch it. Sexy we'll watch. Vincent D'Onofrio is the is the guy who drives the blouse truck. Oh, oh my god! Wow, good. We'll, wa- good. we'll watch it. Yes, delicious are delicious. I was happy to see that that was in the book. Um, but I had to ask you about that omelet. Mm-hmm. I noticed it. I loved your author's note, and I noticed in the author's note that you were saying that you intentionally didn't include holidays in this book, yep. and then you kind of pointed all your readers in the direction of all these other wonderful Jewish romance books that do talk about holidays. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so awesome. Mm. Um, so, so it was very intentional on your part to just yep. have the B'nai Mitzvah be the focus, the focal kind of Jewish experience, right? Yeah, because the thing is that, like, if I was going to show the classes, if I was going to devote time to the classes on the page of the book, that was going to take up a lot of my page space. And I wanted it to be meaningful. Like, I wanted to actually have, like, a drosh on the page. I wanted to talk about, like, how Torah and half Torah portions go together. You know, I wanted to talk about the cantillation. I wanted to talk about like all of the things that they were learning and tying it all in to, you know, to the progression of the book, to the progression of the story. And um, if I added, you know, every single holiday that took place between, you know, like the beginning of the book till the end, that would be a lot of page space that I would lose. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was like, I had to make the decision, like, do I want to do that? Or do I want to devote everything? Do I want to like be as clear and central about the classes and synagogue life in this book? Or do I want to like devote it to like a calendar of holidays? I think that's cool. I mean, that's the thing about Judaism mm-hmm. as a religion, as a culture. It's like, they're so, it's so rich. Yep. You can have a whole book filled with Jewish values, Jewish concepts, Jewish traditions, Jewish foods, even like the sisterhood gossip, like the sisterhood yep. yentas. Like there's so much woven in and not without even actually touching on the holidays. It was like, you know, in other books of mine, like I actually spend some time talking a little bit about the holidays, but not, but like nothing like Friday night. But at the same time, you know, in the name, it's a mistake. You see a temp, you know, a synagogue service. You see an oneg happen on the page, um, which is you see a rabbi talking to his, you know, talking to the congregants. You know, you see the cantor giving lessons. You know, that's like it's something that I never would have put in earlier books for a lot of reasons. But I think that's also like, but I think. It was important to put it on the page in the name for mistake because I wanted to do the story. I wanted to do the process of becoming an adult bar mitzvah and showing that synagogue life justice. So. Right. Uh, so it's a series of the last girl standing. And these yeah. like, we didn't mention that earlier in the podcast, but it's like this group of cousins mm-hmm. who aren't married in this family. And there, there's mm-hmm. pressure from the grandma that's like, you know, when are you going to get married? And so A, is that autobiographical in any way like that feeling of the grandma kind of like pressuring the cousins the girl the younger girls in the family or I don't know any of that and then um what's next for the last girl standing in the series so some of it is autobiographical but I think generally speaking it happens to like all of us you know when you read a stage like there's that there's that expectation and because it happened so universally, it was, it felt comfortable putting it in. Um, also, one of the fundamental things we talked about, like a different, different subgenres in the romance genre. Um, one of the things about romance series is how they're introduced. We talked about hockey romance before, we talked about billionaire romance before. When you have a series concept, because they don't just follow one character, Character, they follow a bunch of them. So players on hockey teams, yes. sisters, cousins, are their friend groups. They're the all girls in apartment 5G for KK Hendon. Exactly. Yes. Like you're not just introduced in the first the book. hot rabbi and then the hot lumberjack. Yes. I love the Mishpacha of Jewish writers writing romance. Wait, I want to talk about that also. I want that we have to we have to parking lot that. I want to hear more about like your friendships throughout with with all these other writers. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Oh, we want to know. Oh my gosh. So, um, so anyway, 
Um, the series itself, um, for a lot of reasons, um, there is a time jump in between book one and book two. Leah's book is next. Okay. My joke title for the book is Fake Dating the Hot So Fair. <laughs> um, um, it's actually called The Dating Contract. Um, it comes out in March of 2024. Great. I am working on book three of the series, which is um, called, I'd like to think it's called The Dreidel Disaster. Ooh. Um, that is Libby's book. Um, hopefully it's coming out in Hanukkah of 2024. I don't know. The, I don't know exactly the release date for that. But between um, the Bnei Mitzvah mistake and the dating contract, there will be a short story. It's going to be in Lucy Eden's newsletter, Notes from Paradise. And my plan is to get it prepped so that um, on De in December, I think there's there's going to be a, an event at the Ritbadis in Brooklyn. And I'm hoping to get it ready for that. I'm hoping Agreed. to have copies of the short story ready for that. We also think we're having an event there. Ooh. We haven't announced to our listeners yet because I wasn't sure if it was like 200% confirmed, but we have a date. So I think that we do have a, an event at the Rip Bodice in Brooklyn. Yes. Over Hanukkah that we're so excited about. Yes. A, little bit a little bit before yours. So I'm excited. That is awesome. I, I love know. it. <laughs> I'm going to, I think, we're, I think a lot of us are going to be spending Hanukkah the Ripon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. Like, you know, I, for the last couple of years, I've been doing Hanukkah events, whether it's like with book releases of mine or an Instagram series, you know, like a series of parties with bookstores, indie bookstores, like all over the country, or like, you know, even in, you know, the, my, my own little Instagram. And it's just so great to have the Rip Bodice now in Brooklyn. That's all ex that's excited to have events like these you know in store um, totally it's really, really fun really, it's really fun and exciting it's great um so that's what's coming up next for the last girl standing that's amazing yeah. it's been so awesome getting to talk to you so so in writing these jewish romance books it seems like you really got to you've gotten to know a lot of other jewish writers are they your friends like how does it all work we're new to the jewish romance community yes yes it's we're, we're a beautiful kaleidoscope of, you know, of a mishpacha, for lack of a better word, to describe it all. Like, um, you know, uh, I've done tons of events with um, Jennifer Grayson, who opened the door for me at Thule, you know, um, Sheen Meltzer, who runs, who started the Jewish Women Talking About Romance group on Facebook, Felicia Grossman, um, you know, we've been we've been friends since she wrote a main male character in her second book um, that could have been one of my ancestors, um, except he came, except the character came much earlier than my relatives did from Poland. Um, like Aviva Blakeman is hilarious. Like KK Hendon, I've known her for years. I was so excited to like to be involved with um, with Burning Bright with her. Um, that, which is another story for the time because that whole anthology was just wild. Megan Hart is amazing. Like Zoe Archer, again, like she, wow. Like, um, you know, Heidi Shertok, who was the debut, who I did the event with uh, this past week. Like, it's just a great, wonderful community. Like Rachel Runyon Katz, like Kelly Kane, Rebecca Crowley. Like I've gotten to know so many amazing people through the process because I think it's, 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 that's one of the things that's so wonderful about having these face, having the Facebook group, but also having the discord, you know, is, is finding community. Like when I started like writing Jewish romance, like I was up to my eyeballs in romance because at the time I was a bookseller for Posen Books in Grand Central, but I was also reviewing romance and also a member of uh, the professional organization that I no longer am a part of. But at the time um, I had multiple in-person groups of romance writers and like people who were interested in reading romance. So I had that advantage. Um, but now 
you know, but the thing was like, there weren't as many Jewish writers. Like right. I didn't, you know, there, there was no Jewish community that I always wanted it, but it never happened. And then now that it has happened, it just feels, I want to say it's a lot more fulfilling, like to sort of not be the only one having these questions are like, okay, like, you know, how much Yiddish are you putting in your your book? Okay. So are you doing this? Okay. You know, do I have to explain what a ketubah is in my books? You know, do I like, which is another fun fact, like, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I could say something like, if you are enjoying, you know, the conversation, if you're, if you're not so sure about the conversation that I had, you know, about the Lower East Side and the name is a mistake, go and watch Hanukkah on Ryan, the Hallmark Channel. Right. <laughs> you know, and that'll, that'll, that'll make it, that'll make it clearer. Like words like that, I never, ever thought I that would come out of my mouth, like ever. Like, I think if you'd said like 20 years ago, Stacey, Hallmark is going to not once but twice, you know, have movies that talk about the concepts you're writing in books, like you know, six months before yours are like I you could have knocked me over with the phone. It's wild to us because when we started, we didn't even know where we were going. All we knew was there were we saw some Hanukkah romance books that we needed yep. to talk, read and talk about them. But we haven't stopped because it's right, it's, right. It's There's just on giving. Like, yeah, yeah. So much. And so talking to you about it honestly shows us how much more there is that we don't even know about there's just so much for us to read and talk about and dive into so it's it's really great do you have um one or two book recommendations for us before we wrap up so i just read um it's been sitting in my pile it's for too long um amanda elliott sadie on a plate oh that also i i, I took it out of the library two different times sadie on a plate i haven't read it okay really really i blew right through it it was hmm. fantastic um and then um i'm reading right now i love her books this series is really it's her new series deals with um adoptees who find their way to judy find their way back to judaism basically rediscover their ancestors so this is kelly kane's series the secret tie series i'm reading the second book at the moment two sides of a secret and like the way i love her books anyway but the way that she handles the this particular character's observance of being kosher, like the way that this particular character talks about being kosher in the book is fantastic. Hmm. Um, like the, her sort of reasoning for what he does and why is kind of amazing and like detailed. And I mean, again, it's a great story, but that particular thing um, stuck out, stuck out to me because I had done the same thing with characters in Love and Lacus. So like, it's important to me to like, see that, see that discussed to a degree. So those are, awesome. those are two questions. And Thank you. Thank you. Well, it was so nice meeting you and talking to you about you and your process and all of your books and this book and just, wow, thank you so much. Yes, this was a treat. I had such a blast. And I definitely, (laughs) you know, really, really enjoyed talking with you guys. Like, I love the books that you've picked before. um, And I love, um, I love how exciting and open the genre is. And I love talking about it with you guys. Cause there's like so much to talk about. Like there's so much, there's so much there and it's just amazing. There really is a lot. There is. I, I have so many more questions to ask you. I know we have to wrap up cause we're almost at an hour, but one more thing. How do you come up with your names? Like how do you come up with Judith Nachman and, and Aunt Asher Men- Mendel? And also do you think those names are sexy? Those are, those are my questions. So one of the, I was, so actually I ended up on a, on a really, for the name, it's a mistake. I ended up on a really, really cool podcast called um, The Menschwormers, which is the Canadian Jewish news podcast that talks about Jews and hockey. Oh, that talks about, sorry, Jews mm-hmm. and sports, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, we ended up talking about like sort of the the idea of Jewish athletes and how, you know, sexy they are and sort of the image of, of Jews in terms of like how people think of us and and sort of like what, you know, culturally that does. And generally speaking, like the, the most important thing, like for me as a romance writer, in terms of making sure, like in terms of making it very, very clear what one character finds sexy about the other. Yeah. Hmm. You know, like that's like sexy, you know, what, what about the, the other character finds you know what what they find attractive about the other one what draws them in as a reader that was very clear to me in your book Mm -hmm. because i was it was like really clear to me that like their interest in volunteerism and helping like was really 
doing it for the other one. It was very clear in the book. Um, but like the names, I think it goes back to the idea of why I write Jewish romance in the first place. Like I, these are names that I grew up with, grew up around. Like I knew people, you know, who had names like that. We all do. Right. And so seeing them on the pages of a romance novel means a lot. And like that, that's representation. It is most basic, most fundamental way, you know? So like, right. You don't want to make up some like sexy version of Jewish names that doesn't really exist in the world. Right. You want them to be like, right. The real deal. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to elevate Jewish names. I want Jews to be seen as sexy. Right. You know, I want, you know, by the way, the answer is yes. The name Asher Mendel is very hot. It is. It's great. Such a good name. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I had to ask you about that. Wait, when I was listing up my fun facts before, I have to just end with this because when I, I forgot the rain, the Rangers tickets and ho- hockey guys in school. The third fact I didn't tell you is that I am related to two Jewish professional athletes. Oh, of history, not current. Dolph Shays yep. and Danny Shays. Danny Shays from the NBA. Oh wow! Is my grandpa's cousin. That's so cool. I had to share that. Yes. I, I don't know who that is, but I'm impressed. He's awesome. Stacy does because she's into sports and Jews in sports. He doesn't play now. He never didn't play when we were kids either. He's like an old timey NBA player, Danny Shays. But people who pay, like I'm sure a bunch of Jewish boys in Jewish state schools throughout history have written reports on him mm-hmm. when they try to find, you know, Jewish athletes to write reports on. But anyway, I had to tell you that. Okay, and I also feel in the spirit of it, just in the spirit of Jewish geography that I don't want to let this interview go before saying that we know your brother for years from here in Brooklyn, um, and so regards to him, and that's just a cool connection. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's it's amazing. Like yes, um, my nephew actually had uh, a part in in Bnei Mitzvah mistake. Um, Ah. The seven year old um, nephew of Judah's seven year old nephew Shem. Um, his responses for the report, as well as the speech that he gives later, are all Elijah's. So, so cute. So cute. Love that. When my editor asked me, you know, is this appropriate for us? You know, is kind of seven-year-old do this? I'm like, yes. And I can tell you why, because one of them did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, but it's like one of a seven-year-old of like two completely like articulate lovely people yeah. who are so bright right. and right smart. and like raising like, like a city kid exactly in iraq right raising like a smart worldly brooklyn king but still yes a seven-year-old said it exactly <laughs> but it's russ and marissa's so yeah a special seven-year-old there you go okay this was awesome thank you so much Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I, I would, you know, I would absolutely come back if you wanted. So. Great. Oh, awesome. Well, we're, def- we're going to, we'll read, we'll definitely read more of your books and we, we're trying to do eight for Hanukkah. We'll see how we do, but we'll definitely read one of, one of the Hanukkah ones in December. Thanks, Stacey. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Good night. Good night. Thank you. That was awesome. Wow. <laughs> that was some insider baseball of Jewish romance right wow. there. Wow. Stacy knows her stuff. She was rattling them off. I was impressed. And it was really fun. That was really fun. I'm, I love talking to her. Yeah, yeah. She was really sweet and like really passionate about all of it, which was really fun and awesome. I'm so glad we had her on. We Notably, she was pretty protective of KK Hendon's identity. You pushed it a little bit, but she was like... You're right. Gonna, oh yeah, she wasn't like, gonna "I'm going to connect you." No, no, no. She was like, "I feel like Dahlia around KK. But I felt like Dahlia when I talked to Dahlia, who wrote "Going by Coastal." She mm-hmm. was sort of like, "Just email her; she'll write you back." I was like, "I'm pretty sure I have emailed her." Interesting. You're right. She was I protective felt like of there KK was a protective vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're and right. Just... Okay, interesting. <laughs> Malia, I see the time, and I know that our listeners are kind of like over it, but I wanted to talk about our next book. So I'm sure we have more to say about this great interview we just had with Stacey, but let's talk about it next time. And I want to tell you what we're reading next. Great. Summer's wrapping up. Mm-hmm. We're going to be moving on to a Rosh Hashanah romance. Appropriate. Yeah. And we're actually going to be talking about this book on the Too Stupid to Live podcast. 
But we're yes. going to cross post it on this one. Exciting. Very exciting. So this is Higher by Roz Alexander. It says a butch for butch romance. And just want to say that in the author's note, when Stacey Agdern and at the end of the name, it's for mistake, recommended a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. One of them was another book by Roz Alexander for Purim. So she, mm-hmm. she, rec- she recommended her. So here's what it says about Higher. Tolly Blue is definitely going back to finish her last semester of rabbinical school, dot, 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 eventually. When she moved back to her hometown seven years ago to help her grandparents raise her younger sisters, she plans on it being temporary. Now, though, she has a stable job and a stable life surrounded by the people she's known forever. It's all just fine. And then there's the incredibly annoying surprise of Maple. Maple never meant to be successful. She just wanted to make weird art and practice her Ladino. And just like that... (laughs) 15 years of adulthood has built a solid career, a great reputation as an art instructor, and a lackluster love life. It doesn't help that she's been spending all her free time consumed with making it as a Sephardic Jew in the Jewish art world that never seems to have space for her, and it definitely doesn't help that she's a strictly that she's strictly a butch-for-butch butch lesbian. And mm-hmm. then comes a sex goddess in the form of a short, chunky, smoking hot, and incredibly nervous butch Tolly Blue. When Tolly's love of family, Maple's art ambitions, and a Rosh Hashanah effort to hashtag save the bees force these two together, both of them may learn that the only way out is up together. This new year, honey is dripping on a lot more than apples. Higher is a steamy, butch-for-butch, grump, sunshine lesbian romance about what happens when you choose to take your dreams higher. This is the sweet and sexy second volume in the Hot for the Holidays series, a collection of queer Jewish love stories that can be read in any order and all year round. Great. That is wonderful. There's a lot there. I love that grump sunshine is a genre. I feel like it's in my whole life. (laughs) Grump sunshine, the Malia Levin story. Seriously, I got to get more of that. Oh my god, I'm so excited because I just read you the Roz Alexander bio. Mm-hmm. A child of multiple di- diasporas, Roz, they, them, has always been obsessed with the idea of home being how you love another person. Their books focus on that idea while showcasing characters of many intersections of identities, plus a little humor, a heavy pour of steam, and a dash of angst. They are a physically progressively disabled white trans person with ADHD and have more interest than time in the day. You can find them spoiling their... Th- three terrible cat beasts, connecting to their Jewish culture through moon worship, plant craft, and cooking traditions, and making weird art when they're not writing or stewarding a native pollinator garden with their beshert. Make sure you never miss a release by joining their newsletter, signup.rosalexander.com. Wow. Can't wait. This is going to be very fun. This is going to be great. So we're reading that book on Too Stupid to Live, and I can't wait. It was awesome talking to Stacey. Hope everyone had fun tonight. Malia, love you. Love you too. Good night. Bye.